stuck in transition. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the new covenant and how the old covenant, the law of Moses, was a written code. And now they transitioned in the New Testament to the new covenant, which was not of the written code, but of the spirit where the law was put on our hearts and our minds and we start to get it. We start to catch on. And so there's a new way of serving God that comes in, not the written code, but just learning the ways of God through the spirit. And what we see, you know, as we went through like the Jerusalem council and things like that, people were trying to figure out how does this exactly work? You know, do the, the non-Jewish believers have to become Jewish so that they can be Christians and all this stuff. And they're trying to figure it out. And they decided, no, it's by grace we're saved. And so that was established. And then we follow the Holy Spirit. And we look at here in Acts chapter 18 and 19, two very interesting situations where people got a part of the picture, but not the full picture. Does that happen to Christians? Sometimes you get a piece of the puzzle, but not the full puzzle. And we want to get as much of the full puzzle as we can get. And so let's look at this situation where we have two cases where people are stuck in transition. They get partially into the new covenant, but not the whole way. So let's go to Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. So we see here, Apollos is a learned man. He's familiar with the ways of the Lord. He teaches about Jesus accurately. He's very enthusiastic but he only understands the baptism of John. The baptism of John was a baptism of repentance. John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he said, look to Jesus. And so he had a piece of it, but he didn't for sure have Jesus who said, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, so Jesus baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So Apollos had a piece of the puzzle, but not the whole puzzle. And so let's keep reading and look and see what happens. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. (laughs) So Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos. He's doing very, very well, but he only had the baptism of John. He did not understand about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, apparently, because he understood about Jesus. He taught about Jesus accurately, but he only knew the baptism of John. So now Priscilla and Aquila help him to have a more adequate understanding of the scriptures. Is there any indication here that Apollos got mad at Priscilla and Aquila for uh, explaining more adequately (laughs) an understanding of God? Is there any indication that Apollos didn't receive that or that Priscilla and Aquila were disgusted by Apollos's lack of understanding of that. Not at all. Let's finish this passage. Verse 27. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So he continues on in his ministry and Apollos was very 
strong. And Achaia is the region where Corinth is. So he's in Corinth. And if you remember in the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthians about the divisions that are happening in the church. And he said, you know, is Christ divided? Some of you say, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, I follow Christ. Apollos was so significant that he became one of the factions like Peter and Paul. That's amazing. Like he had incredible influence, Apollos did. This is a man who's serving God effectively and powerfully, but he needed a more adequate understanding to go beyond just the baptism of John. And we see a very similar thing happen. The next verse, Acts 19, verse 1, says this, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So these are disciples described as disciples. Is that a good sign? When the scriptures call you a disciple, that's a good sign. Did they have a complete understanding of the whole system? No, they haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So, I mean, their understanding of the Trinity would be very, you know, <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't be there because they haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Now, how many Christians today understand about Jesus for sure? You know, he's our savior and they know about God, the father, but as far as the Holy Spirit, maybe a theological idea over there, but not any real connection, not any real walking with the spirit, hearing from God, being empowered by the spirit. These people were in a situation they hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. They had no idea what happens. Verse three. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. So just like Apollos, they're in the baptism of repentance. They're in John's baptism and they're functioning from that. They're called disciples, but they seem to have less knowledge than Apollos did. They are seeking the ways of God. They've repented for the kingdom of heaven is near, but now they're not sure. Well, they didn't even realize that they didn't know to go forward, but now they're realizing there's more to it than what they saw. So they had John's baptism. Verse four, Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, in Matthew 28, Jesus describes how he wants people to be baptized. So he said, go throughout the whole world, go to all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's the baptism of Jesus, the one that he commanded his people to do. So now they're baptized in the name of Jesus, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And what happens? Verse six, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So this is kind of the other 12 disciples. You know, there's these, these 12 that are in Ephesus that apparently got started and then somehow got separated from the group and they understood John's baptism. They were seeking the ways of God, but they didn't know the full process of getting into a new covenant relationship with God. They did not understand about the Holy Spirit. However, Paul solved that problem for them, introduced them to uh, the fullness of their experience with God, and they received. Now, was Paul disgusted with these 12? No. Were the 12 mad at Paul for saying, you think you know something that we don't know? Were the 12 mad at Paul? 
No, everybody just wants everybody to learn about God and to grow and and get better. And that's how it should be for us attitude wise. Hey, let's just learn everything about God. We can learn, grow and get better. Let's help people who need help. Let's get help when we need help. You know, pride can really mess up our, our connection with God. So how do we interpret this? How do we understand this? How do we look at Apollos and these other 12 disciples and really put it together? Well, I think it's, it's important to look at the three basic steps to transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. Now, for us, we don't have to transition from the old covenant, the Mosaic law, into the new covenant. We can just go straight into the new covenant. So we don't have to worry about transitioning from. We just transition from our old life. We transition from wherever we came from into a new covenant relationship with God. And so we'll look at three steps to get there, and they're typified by the ministry of John the Baptist, then the ministry of Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist to Jesus to the Holy Spirit. Take all three steps and we get into that new covenant relationship with God. So let's look at that and look at how the scriptures describe this. So let's start with John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So John's message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And I don't know that in our culture that necessarily translates real well. So I like to retranslate that into, you know, Pastor Mike's version is this. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near is basically this. God's about to do something awesome. So get your heart right. And you'll get to be part of it. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. God's about to do something great. So if you get your heart right, you'll get to participate. You'll get to be part of it. And what John the Baptist was talking about was the plan of redemption. Of taking people from condemnation into everlasting life. From a life of darkness and destruction into abundant life and life to the full with Christ. That process. And that process is still going on now. God is still doing that great thing of saving souls. And so we want to grab hold of that. God still is in the middle of doing something great. And if we get our heart right, we get to be part of it. So that's John's message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So we see That John the Baptist hands off to Jesus. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near is the way that the path is made straight for Jesus. So when we get our heart right, we get to then move on to connect with Jesus. And Jesus points us another direction. Verse 11 of Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So we see John the Baptist hands off to Jesus. Jesus takes us to the Holy Spirit. So John to Jesus to the Holy Spirit. Now, if we're going to kind of describe these different stages. John, of course, is repentance. 
Repent. That means that we, we reconsider our lives and decide to go with Jesus. To say, yeah, okay, I'm done with my thinking. I'm done with going my direction. I'm going to go God's direction now. That's repentance. To reconsider your life and to decide to go with God. Then Jesus is basically forgiveness and the love of God. So once you repent, then that opens you up to forgiveness and being accepted and loved by God. That's what Jesus does for us. Then after that, we have the Holy Spirit, which gives us power and guidance to live that new life with Christ. So we are able to be empowered and led into God's ways of living and God's ways of being through the Holy Spirit. Jesus describes the ministry of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 7, starting in verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So he's talking about streams of living water that would flow out of the believers. And this is a description of the Holy Spirit. Then we go to John chapter 14, starting in verse 25. Jesus says, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Wouldn't it be handy to have power from God to teach us all things and to remind us of of the things that Jesus has taught? Have you ever had a scripture come up in your mind? That's this. We'll remind you of everything I have said to you. It's the Holy Spirit bringing something up into your mind so we can have Divine help in understanding and in remembering the counselor, the Holy Spirit will come after Jesus and help us, teach us and guide us. The Holy Spirit also empowers us. Of course, Acts 1.8, a very famous verse that is quoted a lot, says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. This was said to a group of people that you wouldn't have thought would be able to spread Christianity over the entire earth. It did work out that way, though. (laughs) Here we are a long ways from Jerusalem talking about Jesus. And then you've heard about spiritual gifts, right? Spiritual gifts are manifestations of the spirit empowerment for us as individuals to be able to serve God. Let's look at that in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 4 says this, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the spirit, the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. 
The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So here the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthians about spiritual gifts and that they come from God. That it isn't just, I did this because I can do that, but there's an empowerment from God to be able to serve. Now, there's two things in my life that I have seen dramatic changes with because of the power of God. The first one is growing up as a kid, I was not very good at reading. I don't know if, if you uh, have any issues along those lines. But for me, I, I was not good at reading. It wasn't something that came naturally to me. In fact, in third grade, my teacher found out that I couldn't spell my name. So made me stay in from recess and write my name a hundred times in third grade. And then, you know, as the years went on, I worked real hard and, you know, that sort of stuff and, and uh, tried to get better. But let me tell you, one of the scariest experiences I ever had as a human being was having to read in front of people horrible, horrible childhood experiences of having to be forced to read while other people listen. Embarrassing, terrible experiences. Now, that's my job. (laughs) Let me just put it this way. So I went from a kid who couldn't spell his name as a third grader. I got saved when I was 19. And I believe God shifted how my brain works and just gave me some abilities that I didn't have prior to that. Then by the time I was 22 and I took the graduate school test, which is the the GRE, it's like the ACT, but for graduate school. And I scored at the 66th percentile for people going into graduate school in the verbal portion of the test. So it was above average for going into graduate school by that time. That's just the power of God. Also, when I was in high school, I tried to learn how to play the guitar. I took lessons and I never could get it. And I failed. I wasn't able to learn how to play the guitar. And so I I bought a guitar, but I never learned how to play it. So I sold it to my brother-in-law and then he learned how to play it. And then when I was 30 years old, God said, learn to play the guitar. I mean, just clear as day. And in the space of three months, I was leading worship by myself with a guitar, just me in three months. And that's just God. Now, it wasn't very good, but it was, it was good enough. <laughs> it was sufficient. We could worship. It was enough to be able to worship. And there are times where God just gives you an ability to do something. And that's what we need. We need empowerment from God. We need gifts from God. And so we see these three steps, repentance, the love and forgiveness of God, and the empowerment of God and guidance of God. If we're missing any of those three steps, it's going to limit us in our connection with God, in our understanding of God and how we walk with God. And there are absolutely times where people can have two out of the three or one out of the three, or of course, none of the three. And that's the big scary thing. We want everyone to come to repentance. We want everyone to come to full understanding of the love of God and the forgiveness of God. And then we want everyone to walk in the power and guidance of God. That's the new covenant relationship we have with God. But if we're missing a step, it can be a problem. What if you have repentance without forgiveness? You understand John, but you don't understand Jesus. There are lots of people who are Christians in today's world who are still stuck in John. 
because they know how bad they are, but they can't ever get free from it. They can't ever be loved by God and fully forgiven and be past it. We're not to stay in John's baptism and be feeling bad about all the things we've done wrong for the rest of our life. We're supposed to be freed from that where we're washed white as snow, where our sin is as far away from us as the east is from the west. We're to be born again and done with it and not have to worry about it anymore. It's gone. That's when we step into the love that is typified by Christ's death on the cross where we are forgiven of our sins we must go from john to jesus and be free what if we have jesus the love and forgiveness of god but we don't have john we don't have repentance that's maybe getting more popular in today's christianity where just going to be loved by God and forgiven, but I'm certainly not going to change anything. I'm certainly not going to live different. I'm certainly not going to look at my life and reorder myself in line with God. I just want to be forgiven. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? Uh, Just be forgiven. That's the love of God and the forgiveness of God without repentance. And that creates an issue as well. Now, what if you have the first two Oh man, you have both. You have repentance. I'm done with that. I'm going to go with God. And then you fully understand the forgiveness that you have in Christ and you walk free, but you don't have the guidance and empowerment of the spirit to live the Christian life. You're saved. That's great. But you're going to be limited in your capacity to serve the Lord and to walk in victory. We don't want to be limited. We want to be overcomers. We want to have strength and power. When I became a Christian at the age of 19 that I described earlier, Satan tricked me. And the way that he tricked me was basically by getting me to hate the church. I mean, I looked at Christianity, I looked at the church, and I just thought, what a bunch of goofballs. And I was so angry because, just to make it short, they'd taken the Alpha and the Omega almighty God and made him a cartoon character that no rational human being could believe in. And besides that, they act like fools. And who is going to believe in the God they serve when they're that foolish? And all my people are unsaved. And how am I going to talk to them when this is the example? You know what I mean? So I'm mad. I'm super angry. Seven years that built. I got more and more angry over a seven-year process. I cannot overstate how deep that emotion was. My hands would ache. I was so angry. And then at that point, the Holy Spirit hit me and changed my heart. Not just my understanding, but my heart was changed. I'll have to tell the whole story at another time. But the hate in my spirit, in my chest that I could feel broke. And it felt like a bucket where the bottom of the bucket was just gone. And just this hate just fell out. And a love from God for the broken, messed up church. People just trying to do the best they can, but they're goofing it up. Uh, A love for that group of people hit me and a recognition that I am in that group too. Hit me and I've not been the same since. That's been over 20 years ago. God is good. We need to repent. We need to fully accept the forgiveness and love God has for us so that we don't get stuck in shame and condemnation, but we get free. And then we need the guidance and strength 
of God through the Holy Spirit to be able to be empowered to serve him effectively and live a victorious Christian life. We want all three. Of course, my question now is, is there a step into new life with Christ that you're missing? How are you doing with repentance? You know, we have that big moment of repentance where we say, yes, Lord, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in with you. I'm, I'm going to go your way. And then, you know, there's the daily little repentances. There's the, yeah, I better straighten this out. And we make the little adjustments and we get re-forgiven for the little thing. How are you doing on forgiveness and the love of God? Are you still stuck in shame and condemnation? God's plan is not for you to constantly think about how bad you are. It's for you to be free from that so that you can walk into the joy of the Lord. The forgiveness that Christ offers is sufficient to completely, utterly, and totally forgive you so you don't need to carry it anymore. Have you fully received the love and forgiveness of God? And then the guidance and empowerment of the Spirit. Is that something that you need? Something you need to connect with and understand so that you aren't just trying to figure it out, but you're being led and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God have supernatural power to live the Christian life. Our closing scripture will be Luke 11, starting in verse 9. Jesus says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. God wants to meet you where you are. Now, if you ask amiss, if I ask for my, my vehicle to be turned into gold, it's unlikely to happen. God could do that, but he's not going to. <laughs> he has not promised that. But if we seek the things of God, if we seek things according to his will, we will receive, we will find, the door will be opened. Verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If we ask for the Spirit of God to change our hearts, to empower us, to serve, to guide us in our life, doesn't Almighty God want to give that to us in the first place? We're just asking for what he already wants to do. He's not going to give us something bad. Some people are afraid that they'll get a, a snake or a scorpion. When they're seeking deeper spiritual things. God's not going to give you something bad. He's going to give you something good. How much more will the father give us the Holy Spirit when we ask?